in episode 513 with Dr. Nicole LaPera, aka The Holistic Psychologist, we are talking about how to pull yourself out of darkness, how to overcome fear, how to process your emotions, how to show up better in all of your relationships, how to self-heal, plus so much more. If you are into personal development and being the best version of yourself, this episode is for you. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, Comparisonitis, and Time Magic. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hey, beautiful, and welcome back to the show. I am so excited about this episode because we have Dr. Nicole LaPera back on the show. She was on episode 380 titled, You Have the Power to Heal Yourself. But for those of you that have never heard of her, she was trained in clinical psychology at Cornell University and the New School for Social Research. She also studied at the Philadelphia School of Psychoanalysis. As a clinical psychologist in private practice, she often found herself frustrated by the limitations of traditional psychotherapy. Wanting more for her patients and for herself, she began a journey to develop a united philosophy of mental, physical, and spiritual health that equips people with the tools necessary to heal themselves. This is so empowering. This stuff is incredible, and I wish we were taught all of this in school. She is also the creator of the Self Healers Movement, where people from around the world are joining together in a community to take healing into their own hands. Her first book, How to Do the Work, has resonated with so many people around the world. And her second book, How to Meet Yourself, the workbook for self-discovery, is out right now. Nicole has 6.3 million followers on Instagram. She is such a wealth of knowledge. You guys are going to love this conversation. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 513. Now let's bring back on Dr. Nicole LaPera. Nicole, welcome back to the show. I am so excited to have you here. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, wow. So first and foremost, thank you, Melissa, for having me here. What did I have for breakfast? I had a piece of gluten-free toast with some avocado smashed on it and an egg. So good. How good is avo on toast? Very Australian of you. I love it. I love it. So this is your second time on the show. Your first episode was episode 380. You have the power to heal yourself, which we spoke about. And today, uh, we are celebrating your new workbook, How to Meet Yourself, the workbook for self-discovery, which is incredible. It is so amazing. Imagine if we were taught self-healing in school or how to regulate our nervous system and how to move through fear and challenging experiences. How amazing would that be? 
and it's never too late to learn how to do these things. Is this why you wrote this book? I mean, as you were even, I was hearing you say that, I mean, school, absolutely. I'm here sitting over here thinking, if only I was taught in my clinical psychology program, how foundationally important the nervous system was. And again, this isn't kind of tearing down uh, the system, the training. You know, I think I've gotten some valuable aspects, um, practices from the way that I was trained, though, glaringly, the body was was so kept out of it. So, I mean, in terms of learning how to human, how to navigate our emotions, I mean, that is such a foundational part of our human experience that it is, I, I agree with you, I think it needs to be prioritized, whether it's in school, in our homes. And the reason why I wrote now this workbook, um, as I was writing the first book, How to Do the Work, which I cannot believe is two-year anniversary, is tomorrow already, I very much wanted to talk about this journey of awakening, of the importance of the human body, of this holistic self-healing model of creating change and of transformation. And, you know, I talked a lot about the practical. How do we become conscious of all of these habits that, you know, aren't who we are so that we can make space and create change for choices that would allow us to be more aligned with who we are in the world. And as I was writing that book, it really came to my awareness in my own life, include it, And I always like to use this analogy of being a horse with blinders on it, how we are so subjective to the life, to our habits, to how we've come to know ourselves, that even hearing something is maybe empowering of, oh, you're not who you think you are, you can change. So many of us need that guidebook, that roadmap of where to begin to turn that spotlight to even identify the habitual nature of our being. So for me, it was the seed of, oh, a workbook would really be a great guide um, for people to begin to meet themselves by first seeing all the habits and patterns that are creating your life that aren't necessarily who you are, that were an adaptation, usually to our earliest environments, so that then we can create that space to ultimately become present to our authentic self or meet ourselves. Is this book for everybody? Who's it ideally for? I would hope that regardless of where you are on your healing journey, on your awakening journey, on your awareness journey, whatever it is that you want to call your journey, um, I hope that it will speak to you. There's so many foundational principles, especially as we dive into the nervous system, our universal experience of being in a human body that I think would resonate, um, whether or not this is the first time you're hearing these concepts, like awareness, like habits, like consciousness, like nervous system, or whether or not you've been well on your journey. I love that. So beautiful. Oh, I just, I I want this to get into everybody's hands. And obviously, ideally, the younger, the better. Like these tools are just so important because the mind is so powerful. It really is. The stories we tell ourselves. I had a, I don't know if you're aware of the app Voxer. Do you know that app? I've heard of it. I haven't engaged with it too much. Yeah. So I use that app and one of my girlfriends sent me like an 11-minute Voxer yesterday. And she was just kind of talking about all of this stuff that's going on in her life. And I responded with, babe, we need to get really clear on the stories that you're telling yourself. And I want you to do a little exercise for me and I want you to write down all these stories that you are telling yourself right now. And she did it and immediately sent me a message back and was like, oh my gosh, my mind or what I call your inner meme girl is having an absolute field day in there. So 
We know now how powerful our mind is. We know that it can really cause us a lot of pain and suffering. When we're in fear, when we're experiencing challenging moments or times, when it feels like it's all-encompassing and like there is no end and we're spiraling downward, what are the first steps to pull ourselves out? Because I know for me that in the past, I've been like, I can't get out of this. What are the first steps? Yeah, I want to just touch quickly too on the reality that our mind is always desperately attempting to make sense of the world. It, it When we were born, um, I like to describe us, and we actually just recorded a podcast on my podcast, The Self-Healer Soundboard, about kind of that state of preconditioning or in infancy when we are literally just that pure state of awareness. Life is happening within us. We're having sensations. Life is happening outside of us. And we're present to it. At the same time, our mind is desperately seeking for control purposes, for safety purposes, to make sense of it. So that's a function of all of our universal human minds that begins at birth. And then what happens is, of course, we're looking developmentally immature, dependent on all of the adults around us to meet our needs. We defer to the stories that we're hearing both directly, you know, told to us by those around us or indirectly enacted in their behavior or modeled. And before long, because we're in need of continuing those relationships because they're helping to meet our needs and because we don't have the developmental maturity to understand all of the different nuance and complexity of, you know, adulthood and relationships, we defer to other people's stories. And very much then that tendency to color our experience or make sense of it doesn't change. What changes though is the habitual stories that we assign to the world around us. So that awareness is huge because oftentimes it's the meaning that we're assigning to the events that are happening to us that are causing the reactions in our body, not necessarily the events themselves. So to answer your question then, right, how do we begin to navigate this is by becoming aware of how I'm coloring, what narratives, what stories like you did with your friend. What are the stories embedded in this 11 minutes of what's going on? And chances are, the more you pay attention to your mind, you'll see you don't tell yourself new creative stories. You tell yourself the same things day in and day out. So when we become aware of the story, we can give ourselves the opportunity to just like you're doing with your friend very beautifully, assess whether or not it's accurate. And then, and this is to include the body because that's playing just as much of a role, you can begin to then tune into, well, how did that story make me feel? Because even if it's not true, my body is registering its truth. I'm feeling tension in my muscles if it's a threatening story or a fear-based story. So now this is where no amount of white-knuckling it or just saying, oh, this story is inaccurate, don't believe it, is going to work. Because meanwhile, your body, chances are, for the large majority of our lifetime, has come to believe that story to be true. Because your body is going to continue to send messages, no matter how much you try to say, that's not what is actually happening. There's nothing to fear here. It's safe. If my muscles are tense, if my heart rate is elevated, if I'm breathing in a quickened way as I do when my body is stressed out, no amount of affirming that I'm safe is going to override that lack of safety in my body. So when we're talking about awareness, it really is the holistic model of, okay, 
What are the stories that are contributing to how I'm feeling? And what am I feeling? What are those sensations? Because until I tend to both, those messages are going to continue to be passed from my mind to my body, my body to my mind. And that's why so many of us remain stuck or locked in those early experiences. So what do we do from there? So we are aware, okay, there's this story that's not serving me. I can feel it in my body. I realize I'm not even breathing deeply. I'm doing shallow breathing. I'm feeling tension in my upper back and my chest and my shoulders and my body is sore. I'm aware of that. Then what? Like, how do we release this trauma or release this story out of our cells? And how do we do it by ourselves without going and seeing a shamanic body worker or something? I'm smiling as, as you're describing me, um, because when I came to the awareness, I mean, you literally described, Melissa, down to even the hunched nature of my tense shoulders, almost yeah. causing, right, that turning inward of protection where in moments, even to this day, when I drop into my body and try to, you know, assess, well, how am I breathing? Am I breathing nice and calm and deeply from my belly? I'm still holding my breath. I'm still a ball of tension. So we can really begin to make intentional conscious choices to help our bodies release. For me, it was a lifetime. It was decades of that tension, of that constriction. So much so that like I was sharing, my posture even began to embody that hunched forward protective stance. So when we become conscious, you know, if you are like me, there is tension in places. My heart rate is always elevated. I'm always breathing really quickly or I'm holding my breath. We can make the daily commitment in moments because this isn't magic. It's not a light switch that, you know, overnight all of this years of tension unwind in my body, though through daily practices, we can begin to maybe stretch our muscles to release some of the tension. Maybe begin a gentle movement practice to help expend some of the energy. For me, I had to teach my body how to breathe deeply from my belly. And given my posture, I had to practice first laying down to teach my shoulders to release back. So just wanted to belabor that point for the very understandable many of you listening who are like, oh, okay, my body, wow, so much tension, magically be gone tomorrow. It is really daily practicing the consistent steps of allowing your body to unfold for some of us a lifetime of, of stress, of tension, and of anxiety that we're carrying. Mm, yes. I know for me personally, it's the shallow breathing, holding my breath, I went and saw my osteopath three days ago and she was like, Melissa, you're not even breathing. Like you are doing such shallow breaths, like your scapulas. I had all of this tension in my scapulas, my upper back. And she was just like, honey, we need to get you breathing deep down into your belly right now. I know you've got a lot going on, but we really need to get you deep breathing. And so now I'll catch myself throughout the day. Like I'll just catch a little moment where I'm like, oh yeah, breathe deeply. Just breathe back down into your belly. And then I'll notice myself very tense. And then I'm like, okay, now breathe again. So you've said two really powerful things here, our breath and movement. And I know for me, those two things are 
incredible ways to release that tension out of my body. Also, like going and having a swim in the ocean, diving in the ocean, connecting with nature. That's also really powerful for me. I went and started dance classes again, and I had a dance class a few days ago. And I didn't want to go because I had so much work to do. And I was like, I don't want to go. And I went anyway. And that dance class, I just got it out. I got all of this anger and frustration out of my body. And so I really think it's so powerful for everyone to have some sort of movement, daily movement, even if it is just vigorously shaking your body or whatever it is, move your body. In nature, if you can, breathe deeply. Those few little things that are all free can really help you come back to the present moment, release those stories and release that tension that's stored in the body. 100%. And I think it's important to mention at the same time, as logical as all this beautifully sounds, oh, right, move a little bit, release some tension, go connect with nature, have this peaceful moment. If that's not you're familiar, if that's not your consistent habit, then logic goes right out the window because our subconscious mind is so wired in our mind and our body to prefer those familiar stories, even if they're causing us self-harm and suffering, to prefer the tension in my body because that's what it's come to know as safety. Because according to my subconscious mind, it's not logical at all. It just maps on the predictability of an event to the idea that that is safer because I know what comes next. Even if it is that self-harm, even if it's, you know, kind of exploding in my relationships, whatever the habit is that I'm doing, even if it's keeping all that tension locked in my body, it's what I've come to know as my familiar home. So as logical as all of this is, and I've lived and continue to live this experience firsthand because one of the major things that I was modeled in childhood was avoidance of things that are uncomfortable, whether if it was discomfort in my body or emotional discomfort in a home where none of the adults around me were equipped to tolerate the stress of life, to tolerate the emotions of life. So distracting and avoiding and suppressing was the safety for us. If we don't look at what's really uncomfortable, if for me, I always keep myself endlessly distracted and doing something else, I don't have to feel the tension in my body. I don't have to feel the deep-rooted anger and pain and grief and everything that I'm feeling. So even if logically, right, we just heard me share about how this tension in the muscles is telling my brain, right, that it's that it's unsafe in the moments of stretching my muscles, of moving my muscles, when I feel the very natural discomfort that will come with moving or stretching tense muscles that haven't been moved or stretched in years or decades, I'm going to feel uncomfortable. And for me, that's the moment where I'm faced with that old habit of avoiding the discomfort, which really is simply is stop moving, stop stretching, right? Avoid the things that are causing my body or my emotional system that overwhelm or that unfamiliar experience. Just don't do it. So I just wanted to offer that here because as logical as many of these and simple as many of these tools might feel hearing me share them, when we go to enact them, to act upon them, the large majority of us will be met with that pull to the familiar. And for a lot of us, our familiar is not moving our body, not stretching our muscles, avoiding the things that are either physically or emotionally uncomfortable. And because our body goes into that default of what it's always done, is it a matter of 
doing it anyway and consistently just keeping on showing up until that muscle memory starts to form. So the way we create a new familiar path, if you will, is by repeated consistent action. I think, again, another caveat that I just want to mention here, because I think it's really natural, especially if you've heard us already share, right? Movement, breathing, two things. I could throw in eating nutrient-dense foods, sleeping, right? Now there's four different things I have to do starting tomorrow. Very understandably, many people might sign off of this podcast and write a new to-do list. Four new things starting to do tomorrow. Because consistency, keeping those daily new choices or commitments to ourselves is what's going to create the new habit, the possibility that somewhere into the future, this now begins to feel familiar. It's about repeating that choice daily. So setting ourselves up to step so far out of our comfort zone with, you know, overhauling our life from top to bottom with four new things to do starting tomorrow is only going to throw us more into that unfamiliar, more into those overwhelming feelings, and therefore less likely to continue to keep that commitment. So I want to mention that here because I think, again, these tools feel really simple, really easy, really logically. They're going to provide the relief for so many of us that have been living with this suffering for so long. It's understandable that I do make that overwhelming to-do list. Though to speak to your point, it's the consistent habits that will create that future of familiarity. And at the same time, even if we do cut that list down to one, expect that resistance, expect that discomfort, expect the pull to those old habitual behaviors to be there, not to shame yourself in the moment, to acknowledge that that's your body doing what it does best. It thinks it's protecting us. Though, yes, the more we expand into that unfamiliar territory, we're expanding our ability to tolerate, really, when it comes down to it, stress. And that which is unfamiliar and unknown, which is going to be so much a part of our continued future experience. Mm, Yes. Wow. It's so layered, isn't it? It's so layered. But we just got to do what we can do and keep showing up. Can you talk to us about the feelings wheel? In the book, you've got this incredible wheel. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, it's it's so layered. I want to touch on that too, because I really think about the workbook, like the peeling back of the onion process and everything that we're talking about or just talked about in terms of the body. um, You'll meet in, I broke it into three different sections with the third and final section being where we really dive into who we really are or that authentic self. That strategically and intentionally doesn't come in section one because in section one, we do explore all of those physical self-care habits that for a lot of us are keeping us in that unsafe body with that dysregulated nervous system. It's until we are grounded and safe to experience what's happening in our body that we'll continue to avoid it in all of the ways that we learned how. I led up to answer your question by bringing that in because until we have that base or peel back that layer of the onion to determine what my body is doing, talking about navigating my emotional world and using a feelings wheel and being able to identify what sensation is happening and then giving it language and you know calling it an emotion like anger or sadness or surprise, whatever it might be, I have to learn how to be present in my body where those sensations occur. So the second section that you'll meet in the workbook is all about meeting your emotional self. And then we engage in discussions like the reality that we all have emotions. 
whether or not we're connected to them, beneath the surface, for so many of us suppressed outside of our conscious awareness, our body is always registering sensations. Because emotions, which are really just sensations that are happening in our body, have incredible evolutionary value. Um, There's six different core emotions, and I illustrate them in the feelings wheel in the workbook that give us information. I spoke surprise as being one of them. When we're surprised, our expectation for what we thought was going to happen didn't. That's usually an indicator that what I thought, right, an expectation was violated. When I'm sad, I'm usually feeling sad because there's a perceived loss. Something that I'm interested in or would like to have is either no longer present or not available to me in some way. So when I begin to tune into and notice for myself, I'm just going to stick with those two, what surprise feels like in my body or what sadness feels like in my body, because it will feel a bit different for all of us. Now, when I witness, you know, for me, sadness feels like heaviness. It feels like drooping, almost like that that posture I was describing earlier, because in my childhood, there was a lot of sadness, a lot of grief about not having an attuned or any attuned parents or caregivers around me to support me in my emotional experiences. So I was sad, something I wanted and or needed, in that case, needed, that emotional connection wasn't available to me. So it's not a surprise that you just heard me share a couple minutes ago. My posture reflected what sadness still registers in my body. The heaviness, the droopiness, tearfulness can sometimes happen for me. Perhaps not all of you listening. So understanding first that sensations give us an indication to the emotion that we're experiencing and that emotions, even if you're not paying attention to them or they are suppressed, because they were shamed, because it wasn't safe to show them at some time in some place, doesn't mean that they're not happening and doesn't mean that they don't, it doesn't carry incredible evolutionary value. So as we become aware that things are happening and that we can use what's happening to give us the language to communicate our emotional world, we won't feel equipped. So it's, again, being connected to a body, which is having sensations, which is having emotions, whether or not we were taught how to navigate them or not, it's what's happening. So when we become present to that, now not only do we have language to communicate, we can have an awareness of of, of what's going on for us. Mm, so important, so powerful. Talk to us about support, you know, getting support on this journey, family, friends, therapists, whatever it is. And then also how can we show up for them? How can we, you know, reciprocate that support for our friends or family? And how can we ask for the support that we need? So we humans, all of us humans, are are wired to be in relationship, down to our nervous system. What I was sharing earlier, not having an attuned, emotionally present, regulated caregiver resulted in me not having that co-regulation um, that that ability to go from stress back into that peaceful, calm, present state. We need humans not only to help us regulate, but we as a species have evolved based on our ability to join together into groups of individuals who, whether it's from a division of labor perspective or the emotional support perspective we were just talking about, we need other people. And that need doesn't go away. Um, So when I talk about, and I often hear um, even this concept of self-healing get misinterpreted to mean 
in absence of supportive relationships when that's not the case at all. We, If you're human, you can't get away from needing other people, which is the main reason why, even when I first created the Instagram account, The Holistic Psychologist, I started to use that hashtag, self-healers, as an intention or a hope that other people who were resonating with what I was sharing with my journey and who wanted to connect just like I did in a more authentic way would also begin to use that hashtag to come together in connection. It's now why my membership, the Self-Healer Circle, existed with an opportunity to join together in community. So saying all that to say, support is necessary. The reality of it is that I came to be aware of one of two things, either we're not living in a part of the world. A lot of the audience that I talk to in the community daily is outside of the United States where I live, is living in countries where there isn't supportive resources or, or living with families that aren't allowing their safe emotional connection. So a lot of us you know, need to learn how to find or desire to find the more safe, supportive spaces. And Again, another counterintuitive piece that I think is important to mention, even though you hear me, I just went on a litany of reasons why we need other humans. If you're like me, and if there wasn't an emotionally attuned, connected experience in your childhood, as much as we need it, this is yet another area where it feels so unfamiliar. And for me, that translates to feeling so vulnerable. So as much as I want, and I've now created a life where I have an amazing community that allows me the space to take up space exactly as I am. I'm in a relationship with two supportive partners. I always have someone available to support me, yet there's a little girl inside of me that feels so vulnerable, that shames myself for even needing the support of another person that I don't even oftentimes ask when I need support. I expect people to just read my mind and come rescue me and take away these bad feelings that I'm having that I limit myself from having that support I desperately need. So whether you're on the giving end of support or the receiving end of support, the reality is while we're wired to want it and need it and to survive and thrive based on it, for so many of us, it's so unfamiliar and it feels difficult to either give support to others or to ask for the support that we need. Absolutely. Absolutely. Many years ago when I was starting on my journey, I was mentored by someone who very much was like, you have to do your own work and you can't rely on me for anything. And anytime I would kind of come to this person with something that I wanted to express, you know, that person would shame me and say, that's all your stuff. That's yours. That's yours. That's your stuff. Like you need to work through that. Like don't rely on me or, you know, and that really hurt really hurt because I went to that person very open and like you said, it felt vulnerable. And then I was shamed. And what that planted within me is that I have to do this on my own. I have to do this on my own and I can't ask for help. And asking for help is a sign of weakness and I have to do this on my own. And then that translated into my romantic relationships and so I went on this like, I don't need a man. I can do this all myself. And so like when I met my husband, I was like house hunting. I had my business. I was like, I want to buy my own house. I was like, I don't need a man. And he was like completely like, what is this girl on about? Like she's just on her. And he would just let me kind of go on my own journey for a while because he knew what was happening. But then I saw, I was like, oh no, this isn't about 
being like codependent in an unhealthy way. This is about support. (laughs) This is about holding space for each other. Even now to this day, when I say to my friends, I'm going through something, there's a little bit of like shame that comes up. That's like, you can't do this on your own. Like my inner mean girl's like, you can't do this on your own. Like you should be able to do this on your own. You should be able to do everything on your own. But like saying, hey, I'm going through this. And my girlfriends and I are so good at this now. Like we've gotten to that place in our relationship where we say, hey, I'm going through this at the moment. I just want you to know. And it's not necessarily like, can we have a chat or anything? I just want you to know this is what I'm going through right now. And um, there's no shame anymore. But, you know, still, actually still there is sometimes a little bit like of vulnerability, like, oh, you know, I just shared something really deep and I should still be able to do this on my own. It's like crazy. Yeah, I'm relating big time. And also having a, a thought while I'm hearing you talk, Melissa, which is about the definition of support. And I think for a long time, I, I confused what support was with this idea that support meant removing right how I was feeling. And I mean, even just on the heels of this conversation where we just located emotions inside of us, right, that are created by not only what's happening outside of us, but our interpretations, our past, our ability to deal and tolerate with our feelings and discomfort, which really then locates again, the emotion inside us, which means while, right, someone might have said or done something or not said or done something, and now I'm having the reaction of being upset, the upset is is mine, right? So support really is holding space, like you beautifully just said, for another in their emotions and getting rid of that expectation that a lot of us carry that I know I still do in moments, which is this belief that you should make me feel better. I was we actually just recorded a podcast um, right before I signed on here with you today about you know our inner child. And I was sharing of, of the past couple of days, I've been having an array of emotions, somewhere a ball between anger and sadness. And I have this expectation as I'm having these experiences over the past couple of days that not only do I feel like you're describing vulnerable, it's been very difficult for me to share with my partners that I'm going through something, asking for their support, which means just allowing me to be in my emotion and them just being connected to me while I'm in that emotion. There is an unconscious expectation for me still that support means, well, I've told you I'm upset, make me feel better. (laughs) And they can't. So again, that's something that just popped into my mind, which is I think a lot of us do confuse what support is, what it looks like, and even what's possible with the reality being we can stand alongside someone in their pain and their suffering and their discomfort. And that's really what we want. We don't want to be less alone in the emotions that we're having. We don't want to lose the connections to those others around us. Yet at the same time, the reality of it is those those people around us didn't create how we're feeling. And at the same time, they just as easily can't take it away. Mm, Absolutely. So how can we show up if one of our friends does come to us? Like, how can we show up for them? I know for me, I do what I would like, you know, that's what I do. So one of my girlfriends is going through a divorce at the moment after 17 years. And she has so openly shared how she's feeling. She's cried many times to me. And to be honest, I feel really honored and privileged to hold space for her because I know what it's like to open up to someone. It's a big deal. So 
I feel honored and privileged that she has come to me and said, this is what's going on. And on top of that, I'm not trying to fix her. And so I'll occasionally just send her beautiful messages, you know, telling her that you're not alone and that I'm here for you. And I'll drop her off her favorite chocolates, like just these little things and just send her a message saying, how is your heart today? Just want you to know I think you're the most incredible friend. Something that I've recently started doing is also saying to my friends, like sending them a little voice message saying, let me tell you about you. And so then I'll say, let me tell you about you. I think you are the most incredible mother. The way that you show up for your daughter, the way that you show up for your kids or whatever it is. And then I just kind of go on this rant about what I think about them. And it's just such a beautiful thing to deepen your relationship. And so I've been doing that to her. But basically, I just do what I would want in that situation if the shoe was on the other foot. But can you talk to us about how we can show up? Because I know for a lot of people, if you don't have that awareness, it can feel so uncomfortable. You know, I expressed to my mother one time that I'm going through something really challenging and it's too much for her. Like she doesn't know how to hold space for me. And I even told her, like she was like, what can I do? And I was like, could you just send me a message every, you know, three or four days just telling me how much you love me and like how much of a great job I'm doing in my work and as a mother or something like that. Like I literally told her, but still for her, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's like, it's a lot for her to hold space like that. It's too much. And I respect that. So then I just, I go to my girlfriends, <laughs> but how can we show up for our friends? What can we do? How can we hold space for other people? Yes. I want to, you know, piggyback on what you're saying because what you're what you're doing most is using discretion. And I think that's really important is to really be consciously aware of the other person and what they're showing up and how they're capable of showing up, which really simply we can use what the pattern has been in the relationship so much so that you were able to say, right, my mom is just not able. I can be direct. And for whatever reason, I don't have to take it personally, right? She, because likely she was ill-equipped from her own childhood experiences, she just can't. That's incredibly important because what so many of us do is we don't have that moment and we continue to go back to the same person with an expectation that at least their behavior up until now did not meet. So when you're looking for support, that's an incredibly, I think, important practice is to have those moments of pulling back because we might have many different relationships, friendships with all different humans. And you might begin to notice that there are some of the relationships that you have in your life that are more capable, unlike your mom in that moment, of offering you what you need. Now, flipping it and being the person giving the support to friends that are struggling, what is important, and you very beautifully were able to acknowledge what it is that you wanted or needed and then offer, right? Those kind words, that checking in, that acknowledgement of just, I'm here and I'm present to whatever might be happening for you. You have that awareness. I think where we can cause our relationships frustration in addition to conflict at times, the natural tendency is, I want to go back to even your language, you lead with what works for you. That's really great when you have, right, a toolkit of how to tend to your own emotions. Naturally, we're always going to lead. That subjective horse analogy or metaphor or picture I painted earlier, we're always going to lead with 
what we did in the similar situation, what helped us feel better, how our mind makes sense of it. So much so that some of us might even say, well, that's the only logical thing to do. Unfortunately, though, we are blinded to all of the other possibilities, all of the other perspectives, the reality that the person I'm talking to is just simply a different human. So one of the greatest gifts we can give our friends, if we don't have the emotional, you know, kind of sense or capabilities within ourselves to tend to our emotional worlds, is to be aware of when we are giving advice that might not fit their circumstances, because that oftentimes does lead to invalidation or conflict where you're telling me, you know, the quick and easy way to solve a problem. And it makes me feel angered even hearing that because I feel like you're not hearing me, you're not supporting me, you're not getting that. Maybe I tried that already. Or what I really want again is just you to hear what's happening. So the gifts we can give our loved ones is by asking, by exploring with them, maybe even asking directly, what would feel supportive to you right now? Might it it be I don't say anything and I just listen? How can I be of support? Because while I can't take away the suffering that you're experiencing, I might be able to sit in presence with you while you're experiencing it. I might be able to do a supportive service for you to lighten your load somewhere else. Maybe I want to deliver you groceries. Maybe I do want to write you a card. Maybe I can pick up the kids and give you some time to be by yourself in whatever it is that you're feeling. Because those are other ways that we can be supportive. I'm not attempting to take away the feeling my friend's having, but I can help support them with the stress of life so that they can have the time, the resources, the energy, and the presence to deal with what they're dealing with. And or, again, I can be that listening ear or I can ask directly what might be of support to you and then be open, even if it is not something that would feel supportive to you at all, to meeting them where they're at with what they need. But how many times have you heard anecdotally or personally someone go, oh, no, don't worry. No, 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 don't, 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 no, you're too busy. Like, no, it's okay. Like when deep down they're craving and crying out for support, but they have their own issues with receiving. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I've got so much going on in my life right now. And I'm moving house. And one of my best friends, Sally, she sent me a message this morning and she said, how can I best support and serve you right now? And I said, do you know what would make the biggest difference is if on Saturday when we moved house, you came and played with Bambi while I loaded the truck. (laughs) Like you played with my two-year-old while I loaded the truck so that I'm not like having to worry about a two-year-old running around. So I can literally just get boxes on a truck. like. And she was like, done, I'm there, easy, you know? And so in the past, I would have been like, oh, no, I don't want to put her out. Like, she's got her own stuff going on. And, you know, she's busy and she's got, you know, like, I have done a lot of internal work to be okay now with receiving because I know I love giving. I love giving to my friends. And when I ask them, how can I support them? And they say, X, Y, or Z, and I get to show up and do that for them, it fills me up so much. So I allow it to be reciprocated. So what are your thoughts on receiving and how can we move past that if we have an issue with it? Yeah. So again, receiving is one of those areas while 
we, we need the, the, that support or whatever it is in the moment that someone is able to show up or, you know, gift us with, it could be very uncomfortable. So kind of understanding that about yourself, very much like you, I, I struggle to admit when I need support. I struggle to receive whether it's just the emotional support of having someone sit next to me while I'm feeling as I have been the past couple of days even, or that more practical support. I, in very many ways, have been the person who's always swooped in and tried to be of service to other people, always afraid to say no, even if energetically or my time was overcommitted. Yet on the other side of it, it is still very vulnerable and uncomfortable to receive, you know, someone helping me out by running an errand or by lightening my load in some way. On the other side of it, understanding that we're all unique individuals and many of us might have friends that have that same difficulty receiving. So we might offer, I was actually thinking of this when you were sharing, like writing those kind notes to your friends. And, you know, I was imagining sending that to a friend who doesn't speak kindly to themselves, who's never heard these amazing, nice things about themselves from someone else, that even something so logically beautiful, I mean, you're sharing that. I'm saying, oh gosh, I, I would love to, you know, have this happening, you know, from my from my friends. That's incredible. The reality of it is the person, the friend that you sent that beautiful message to, that might be unfamiliar. That might be foreign. That might not actually be received as you intended it to be, which is now a beautiful moment to give yourself the opportunity to depersonalize however it is that your friend received or didn't receive that gesture that you gave. Because when we give, I think a lot of us then have the expectation of, you know, providing relief, of seeing and feeling that relief, of maybe even having gratitude that we've come in and been so helpful, yet we might not receive that at all. We might actually have our support reject it. We might hear how this beautiful text doesn't resonate. I don't feel that way at all. Why are you saying this to me? Or just not be open. So depersonalizing however it is without expectation. Um, when I now make a choice to do for another person because I've been so used to doing based on fear of what you'll think if I don't do. Doing because if I do this now for you, there's a part of me that's kind of transactioning, right? That, well, maybe you'll be there for me the next time I need this. When I pull back from all of that and first assess whether I have the possibility to give, do I have the energy? Am I in a grounded state, right? Do I want to? And when all of those answers are, you know, I want to offer you this, then I can get rid of the expectation that you receive it in any way. I've given it, it's now gone. And I do open myself up to the possibility that someone on the other side of my very beautiful gesture might be like me, might not be open, might be so uncomfortable to receiving it. Because again, I think we can get our feelings hurt when we do attempt to help another person and they don't react or they don't acknowledge or whatever it is that we were hoping to get back, we don't get that. So depersonalizing, I think, is an incredibly important tool in general in life because the large majority of reactions, again, going back to this idea of emotions are within us, aren't about us at all. They're about our past, our filters, our stories, our motions pent up in our bodies, they're happening in our relationships at times, though so many of us so easily take them personally and then we react from that hurt, wounded, personalized place. Mm, absolutely. I talk about in my second book, Open Wide, a radically real guide to deep love, rocking relationships and soulful sex. I talk about the concept that expectations ruin relationships. And so when we can just give and give and that's it, 
like no expectation of how it's going to be received or what we're going to get back in return, like that's the ultimate place that I want to get to, right? But sometimes I do find myself having an expectation and then other times I don't. Like I I truly don't and that feels really good. And then other times I'm like, oh, why am I feeling disappointed here? Ah, that's why, because I had a big fat expectation placed on top of that giving. And so that sentence expectations ruin relationships really does pop up for me when I'm giving and just to make sure to tune back in that I'm giving from that place of love and just solely from that place and not that place of expectation. So I just wanted to add that on. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, so much of this entire conversation, so much of this journey to meet your authentic self. I'm hopeful that my workbook is a helpful guidebook too is about awareness. It's about these brutally honest moments where even like you're able to gift all the listeners here with, you know what, I'm able to acknowledge that I do have expectations, right? So many of us shame ourselves out of the reality of our adaptations, which are the habits and patterns that are, you know, coloring our world. We assign so much personal meaning that they make us a bad person because we have expectations or, you know, they make us selfish person or whatever we were taught to believe that, you know, expectations is being one of many things that we like to shame for ourselves. So really allowing ourselves that authentic honesty where it might be our tendency to go into immediate shame cycles, though we can acknowledge and even notice that as being a likely adaptation or byproduct of those earliest environments. Again, another opportunity to depersonalize. It doesn't have to necessarily mean anything about me as a person because I notice expectations, because I notice these habits in myself, whatever they might be. I can learn how to just be present to their presence so that then I could have the opportunity to make those new consistent choices that we were talking about. Same conversation applies, whether we're talking about the physical body, our emotional body, our relational body, or how we're you know relating to other people. Change really happens and when we simplify it to two steps. Become aware of what's happening now. What are the habits that are creating my physical body's experience, my emotional body's experience, my relationship experiences. When I get really honest about why or what is happening now, then I can gift myself with the opportunity to take the step number two, which is make those new choices. Expect them to be uncomfortable, though string them together with enough consistency that you then create that new habit. Mm, love this so much. I love it. And I really want to encourage everyone to get the workbook, to go inward, to get support if that's what you need, and to just go on this journey. It's it's so amazing. And I think the more we do this within ourselves, the more we're going to help the next generation. And, you know, I look at my daughter now and I feel like since having my daughter, it's like the best personal development ever. because she makes me want to be the best version of me, you know? And like, she's watching everything I do and say and every mannerism that I do. Like, she is watching. I will do one thing and then the next day she'll do that same thing. And I'm like, whoa, I don't even remember her watching me do that. And so she really, like, I feel like children, it's just the best opportunity. Like, it's such a great opportunity to just up your personal development. And for me, that's definitely been the case. So do this for yourself and do this for the next generations as well. 
what you're talking about, Melissa, too, I just want to touch on this, is that reality that children will absorb more of what they see. We could read the best parenting book. We could have the the best line that we're going to deliver the next time when we want to change our child's, you know, behavior in any way. Though, if we're doing differently, if we're not modeling that, then unfortunately, that's what's going to have the greatest impact. What are they seeing us do? How are they experiencing us in relationship with them? And again, all this comes back to to be in service of another human, whether it's our children, our partners, our family, our peers, whoever it is in the world, really begins with that relationship with yourself first. How are you caring for yourself? Because when we do then talk about, you know, children and factoring in, that's what's going to be the model for them. Not saying the perfect thing. It's in showing them in action, right, how to be. A thousand percent. Thousand percent. There's no point saying eat your broccoli if you're eating McDonald's, <laughs> you know, or like don't act like this if you're acting the opposite. So embodiment is just key. It's so key. So I love that we mentioned that. So I'd love to hear now if you had a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world besides your books. What is one book you choose? Because your books absolutely should be in the curriculum. That's a really, really great question. Um, The first book that popped into mind, and truth be told, is probably because I just mentioned it when we were recording the podcast right before this, though it absolutely applies. And it's a classic um, by John Kabat-Zinn, which is wherever you go, there you are. And really the reason that's top of mind, not only because I was just talking about it, but again, that book really highlights that action of presence, consciousness, mindfulness, whatever the word is, being present to that reality that we're carrying with us our subconscious mind, our lack of presence, and the ability then to create that first step of intentional action, right? Being present to what is, because so many of us, we run. We run from our past. We run from our childhood hoes. We run from relationships that don't serve us. I've done a lot of running for decades of my life, running to the career or the home location that I thought was going to allow me to feel differently, only to realize that as I was running, I was bringing everything with me, all of this subconscious habits and patterning, the dysregulation and the tension and everything we've just been discussing this entire podcast with me. So for me, that book, um, Wherever You Go, There You Are, is so foundational to allow and, you know, that conscious awareness at any age is, is so, so important. We're born in that state. We become conditioned based on what's happening around us to begin to shift out of that state for purposes of self-protection, believing all of the narrations of people around us, right, really fitting and molding ourselves into our environments. And so it really is going back home to that pure conscious state. Mm, Yes, so true. I love that book. Wherever you go, there you are. I'll link to it in the show notes as well as your incredible books. I highly recommend adding them to your reading list. I'd love to hear now, what is something that you have changed your mind about? What is something I have changed my mind about? That's actually a really, really great question. I think there's been many, many things that I've changed my mind about. The first pivotal thing uh, that I changed my mind about is the my own capacity to create change in my life. And this was really highlighted as I began my own healing journey and really came into contact with the importance of the human body. And what I came to realize was I was so limited 
in possibility in terms of what I thought my body was capable of doing. Growing up in a home where there was a lot of chronic illness and chronic pain, I developed a belief in in sickness more so than in wellness or in health. And so I would read books and I've always been very fascinated by people who, you know, have been able to, with the power of their mind, the power of their body, really transform their lives, do almost seemingly superhuman things. And I would read these books and be like, well, good for you, author. That is so (laughs) wonderful that you were able to, you know, do this incredible thing. And I wouldn't necessarily even tear them down as as I know that that can easily be a reaction when we hear something that's uncomfortable, that's challenging, because I didn't believe that to be true about me. I believed only in my body's natural steady decline into ultimately sickness. And for me, coming to believe otherwise, to see the the possibility in creating these new habits, having then embodied that possibility and created such change, such movement toward health. Not to say that those old habits and patterns aren't still in me, though having, you know, created such transformation, such belief in possibility has been, in my opinion, a life-changing switch of my own thinking. Wow. Wow. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's that's really, really powerful. I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Let's do it. I'll try to be rapid. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You don't have to be. What is one thing that we can do for our health today? To be aware that the choices that we're making are creating our health. I think, again, this is another area where we're so unconscious to even how we're caring from our body, how many hours of sleep we're getting, what are we eating when we're eating food. That's one area where we're totally, and I know I had been totally mindless. So becoming present to our body's physical care, I think, is one of the greatest gifts that we can give our bodies. 100%. What's one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all the areas of our life. I love that because that actually maps on to what I was talking about in terms of possibility. I think as we get really, you know, grounded in our being, what opens up is possibility, whether it's in, you know, kind of finances and wealth and health, like I was just talking about. Um, I think that humans are incredibly abundant, possible creatures when we're in that natural, peaceful, calm, connected state. Mm, Absolutely. And last one, what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? That's an an incredibly important question. And and one thing we can do for more love is to become aware of all of the ways that we're preventing ourselves from receiving our love, whether it's wired into our bodies that love doesn't feel safe because at one time and one place, it might not have been safe. Those earliest relationships or environments might not have been safe. So really back to that onion analogy, seeing all the ways that we're preventing ourselves from giving and receiving the love that I believe is an inherent part of all of our beings. I'm touching my heart right now because I believe that the capacity to love lives in our heart. It's something that we share as humans. It's one of the reasons why we're able to connect and be collaborative because we care and we can be compassionate about others on this journey. So to allow ourselves to both give and receive, same conversation we're having around support, means beginning the journey of first seeing all the ways that you're preventing yourself from being and giving love. Absolutely. Yes. So big and so important that we do that. This is incredible. And this conversation has just inspired me so much. And I'm so grateful 
Is there anything else that you want to share with us? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything else that you wanted to talk about? I want to first share gratitude for you, Melissa, for having me back to have this conversation and also for all of the listeners. You know, I think opening our 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 hearts to conversations like this, being a part of communities, like you have so many incredible members of your community. Um, you know, I really want, you know, a, a practice of honoring. Um, you know, I think so quickly and easily we can discredit ourselves or even a choice that seems so simple as hitting this podcast. I mean, now we've just spent about an hour plus together. That's not insignificant. That's not a small choice. Yet at the end of our days, we're so much more likely to see all of the things that we didn't do overlooking all of the things that we did. So my acknowledgement to all of you listening, imagining that for some of you, even maybe some of the concepts might be new, therefore challenging, unfamiliar. Though in addition to that, stopping that practice of discrediting, of minimizing all of the things that we are doing, all of the ways that we are showing up for ourselves. So honoring everyone listening and hoping that each of you begin that practice of honoring for yourselves. Mm, That's so beautiful. Really beautiful. Is there any way that we can serve you today? You help so many people, babe. Like the work that you do, the books, your self-healers circle, everything that you do, your Instagram is helping and serving and supporting so many people. So how can I and the listeners give back and support you? You're always going to hear some version of this answer, which is to, you know, kind of gift yourself with your own life, um, to become conscious and aware and present and reconnected to your, you know, physical self, your emotional self. And the reason why that is, in my opinion, the greatest service to me, someone who for many of you might even be across the world from you in location, this is how I truly believe that we change the world, that humanity begins to shift by each of us doing our individual parts, by embodying a new experience, by bringing that new experience into all of other relationships that we'll ever be a part of. That is, I like to call it the domino effect of what I believe are these life-changing new practices and awarenesses that so many of us are putting into action. So the best way that you can serve any being on this planet, again, is by serving yourself, becoming more connected, more grounded, more attuned to that incredible, beautiful heart and gifts and talents that is inherent in each of you and living that out in your corner of the world. Because again, when we're all doing that all around the world, I'm getting chills even saying this, this is when life-changing, world-changing action begins to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we will link to all of your incredible goodness in the show notes. You are amazing. Dr. Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist. Grab her latest book, grab all of her work, grab her programs, get everything because this woman is incredible. And the way that you deliver content, the way that you make these sometimes seemingly esoteric concepts digestible, is really amazing. Like every time I watch a reel of yours, I'm like, yes, yes, it just makes so much sense. So thank you for the incredible work that you do in the world and for coming back on the show. I am celebrating you, sister. You are incredible and you're always welcome on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My my goal is to make 
these concepts understandable because until we understand, we cannot apply. And again, my my goal is always to increase the access to these awarenesses and these tools because again, they're life-changing. So again, thank you for having me a part of this beautiful, beautiful conversation. Pleasure. My friends, I hope you got a lot out of this episode. I feel really inspired and I want to encourage you guys to go and follow her on Instagram. Her information there is so powerful and so inspiring. So go and check her out. And if you got a lot out of today's episode and you're feeling inspired, come and subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. Now, come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I absolutely love hearing from you. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there is someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. 